I am talking about law and gospel on this January the 18th in the year of our Lord, 2017. I'm Tom Baker, and I'm all by myself today in light of the holiday on Monday. We were unable to do the reading, so yesterday with Mark Smith, we did the hymn 839, and today we're going to be taking a look at one of the readings for the third Sunday after the Epiphany. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 9, the gospel from Matthew 4, but the epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and it helps to answer a question that a lot of people have who are not part of the Christian church and even some within the Christian church. How come there are so many denominations? If you're all Christian, why don't you worship together? Well, the answer to that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 and following. Paul is writing, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, of what is Paul speaking of. He's speaking about theology. And that's why we have divisions, denominational. We're not, we're not talking about the division between the Christian church and the unbelieving sects, such as Jehovah Witness, Mormonism, etc. We're, we're talking about within the Christian pale, you have Roman Catholic and Lutheran and Methodist and Baptist and Presbyterian, etc. Why can't you all worship together? Well, one of the reasons is because there are divisions among us in regard to theology. Uh, Let's just take a very simple one. Uh, The Lutheran Church believes that when you receive the holy sacrament of Christ's body and blood, you are receiving the true body and blood of Jesus Christ. The Reformed churches do not believe that. Why can't they believe that? Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body. Because they believe, and this is part of their theology, that the two natures of Christ are divided. The divine is everywhere. The human is at the right hand of God. And at the right hand of God, therefore, you cannot say that Jesus, therefore, in the body is in with and under the bread and the wine. So, you see, this is a theological difference in regard to the divinity and humanity of Jesus Christ. I challenge anyone to find one place after the incarnation where Jesus does not appear in both his divine and human nature. It's never divided. And so we truly believe that what happens after the ascension of Jesus is that the attributes of the divine are now carried over to the human. Jesus in his humanity knows all things. Jesus in his humanity is everywhere. Jesus in his humanity is all-powerful. 
That is to say that there is a communication, we like to talk about it, of attributes between the divine and the human. So, while Jesus was here on earth, remember, he was making a point that he did not know when the last day would come. And so somebody will say, ah, see, his humanity is not omniscient. But he was in a state of humiliation. He did not make use of his divine attributes all the time. And therefore, he could be ignorant of something that he is no longer ignorant of when it comes to his ascension. So, when the Apostle Paul says that there be no division among you and that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment, the the difficulty would be, let's say the Lutheran Church decides to worship with various Reformed Baptist churches. Now, how do they believe that we bring someone to faith? They believe, many of them, that you do so by getting them to invite Christ into their heart. They even have a prayer. We don't believe that that's possible for an unbeliever to do that. So the first thing that needs to happen is a person must receive faith. But how does a person receive faith? Not by inviting Christ into the heart, but by hearing the means of grace, namely the Holy Word. And for infants, even baptism brings that faith. So how can you be in a church where half of the congregation doesn't believe that infants need baptism and the other half does believe? So having a difference in theology sometimes necessitates a separation in certain areas, such as in worship. Is it that we cannot learn from a Southern Baptist or a Roman Catholic? No. Good scholars like to read what everybody has written because there are areas where there is agreement and you can find insights that one might not immediately think about. So we don't refuse to read what others write, but we will always check it against Scripture. Now, what was a particular problem in the day of Paul? He says, It has been reported to me by Cloa's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Cloa's people. We're not quite sure what that refers to, but Cloa, a businessman, may have sent his representatives to Corinth, maybe about business, and they bring back to Paul that there's quarreling among the people there. Now, notice clearly that Paul doesn't say there's quarreling among you, you unbelievers. No, he says, quarreling among you, my brothers. You see, you can have differences of theology and still be brothers in Christ. The distinction we use is the difference between fundamental doctrines and non-fundamental doctrines. If 
You're listening to people who would follow Jehovah Witness or Mormonism who do not believe, as the Bible says, how Jesus is the Son of God and that he is sinless, but they have a different opinion there, a different teaching, then they would not be brothers in Christ. But the brothers in Christ would believe that Jesus came, died on the cross for sins, and that heaven is free, but then there could be all kinds of differences like in regard to how does somebody become a Christian? How do we move people to become Christians? What are they receiving when they're taking the Lord's Supper? How important is baptism for infants? And there are many, many such questions that just could not have different answers if one is in the same congregation because you're going to have a contradiction all the time. I I remember a particular congregation, it moved from using the common cup to individual glasses for receiving the blood of Christ. And there was an individual in that congregation that even though that is permitted by Scripture, he thought that nobody was receiving, therefore, the blood of Christ because they weren't taking it from one cup. They were taking it from individual little glasses. And he would stand at the back after church and tell people that they hadn't received the body and blood of Christ. Well, he became so infatuated with that point of view that the congregation had to get a restraining order and not allow him to come within a certain uh, distance from the church. Now, You can imagine if he was correct that you can only take it from a cup and and not from individual glasses. Can you imagine if half the congregation felt that way and the other half didn't? So there, there would be a a division. Uh, Fortunately, uh, just as when Jesus distributed the bread, he did not distribute it as wafers, but from a loaf of bread, yet many of us receive a wafer instead, and nobody seems to argue against that. So the congregation has pretty well agreed that you can receive the Lord's Supper. At the seminary, occasionally they would have a loaf of bread, and they would break it apart as you receive the body and blood of Christ. And other times it was wafers. Similarly, there are a lot of churches, for instance, the one I'm at now, Trinity Orchard Farm, where I'm helping out, that they have both. So I stand at the front and give out the wafer, and then to my left, or to my right, depending on which pews are coming out, is an individual with the individual cups, and then beside him, the common cup, and and then people then choose which one they would receive. So there's not a distinction there. That's not sufficient to divide a congregation. But Paul says, there's quarreling among you that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Well, what's he talking about? Well, every congregation has a history. 
And there's no doubt that in some congregations, the first pastor has been really influential, especially if he's there for a long time. And therefore, some people will say, I really like the way he was doing things. Then the second pastor comes and he makes some changes and people may say, hey, I like him even better because he's giving more insights or something. So while one group would say, I follow the original pastor or I really like the second pastor, then others will say, no, I follow Cephas, Peter. Uh, You know, he was with Jesus. Uh, So obviously he's more important than Paul. Uh, Paul is a Johnny-come-lately, so to speak. And then others say, well, no, 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 I follow Christ. Now, that could mean that they're just wanting to listen just to Jesus as he has been transmitted to them uh, through his sayings, or it could mean there's a specific party that says they just follow Christ. We're not really quite sure about that. But here's where the problem is. You've got a congregation who are following different people, and it appears that, therefore, there are some differences in uh, theology. Well, how does Paul overcome that? Is Christ divided? Now, remember I was talking about the human and divine natures of Christ. Uh, You could use that verse to say, obviously, he's not divided. He's always human and divine. But in this particular case, I think Paul is talking about the theology of Christ. Was it a divisive theology? Did it teach one thing in one place and another thing in another place? You, You find that with politicians. Depending on who they're talking to, they say different things because they're trying to entice the individuals they're talking to to vote for them. Now, sometimes that's okay if the subject matter is different. But if they say to one group, say businessmen, oh, no, no, I'm not going to say that we should increase the minimum wage because I know it would be difficult for you to go ahead and hire people. And then to a group of workers, boy, my goal is to increase the minimum wage so you make more money when you go home. See, now that would be a division. And Paul is saying there is no such division when you talk about Christ or what he said. Is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you? No. So there should not be a party for Paul. This can be a problem for pastors because there's no doubt a pastor who does the work of ministry properly will become well-liked by many people in the congregation. We've had situations where pastors will visit the sick regularly or shut-ins, and they become enamored with that pastor, and therefore they will say, boy, I really like him rather than, I really like Christ, who has sent him. So, there must have been something that happened in this congregation that those who were baptized, depending upon whom they were baptized by, that becomes the people or the person that they like. 
uh, perhaps um, Paul did some baptisms, Apollos did some baptisms, Peter did some baptisms. Now, Paul begins by saying in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except, and he gives two that he did baptize, Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Now, that's important because if there were other baptisms done that Paul did not do, then obviously they weren't baptized into the name of Paul. They were baptized instead in the name of Jesus. All of them were. Now, in verse 16, his memory, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Now, household would mean not only Stephanus, but his wife, his children, etc. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. So, Paul has either long memory loss or short memory loss, or maybe he didn't baptize anyone else. These are the only ones he can remember. And then he makes the big point. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach And then the most important word here, the gospel. That's really, really critical because that is the purpose of why Paul was made an apostle to the Gentiles. I, as a pastor, was not made an apostle. I was made a pastor. And therefore, as a pastor... It it means that, therefore, the pastor has the task of not only preaching, but also baptizing, visiting the shut-ins, visiting those in a hospital, teaching confirmation to youth and adults. There's a whole slew of activities that God has prepared for a pastor, and a number of them is not what the Apostle Paul had to do. In, In fact, remember... At one time, the disciples were getting so caught up in the administration of the church that they decided to set up those individuals who would be taking care of administrative duties and give them more time to do the preaching and teaching what they were called to do. And therefore, that's what they did. Uh, Similarly, uh, for, for example... At uh, Trinity Orchard Farm, where I'm at right now, uh, there are funds available for people in need. But I'm, I'm glad I'm not really involved in that that much. If somebody is in need, I will talk to the people, laity, who are involved in the making of the decision and the disbursement of the funds. It's one more kind of task off of my shoulders and gives me time to prepare sermons, etc. Yeah, the preparing of sermons, I remember I kind of laughed at that the first time I heard Dr. Martin Charlemagne say that you should spend about an hour for each minute that you preach. Well, if I start a sermon from scratch, I've discovered that that isn't at all an exaggeration. Because by the time you look at the original languages, by the time you look at the grammar behind the original languages, 
by the time you look at the context, if you're starting from scratch, it's not at all difficult that in a 15-minute sermon, you're going to put in about 15, if not more, hours during the week in preparing that. Uh, there are, Dr. Charlemagne had 15 steps in, in order to do a sermon. And, and the last one was looking at the con, uh, commentaries where people trying to explain. And that's really important because a lot of times the commentaries don't go into as much depth as they should. Although the newer ones now out of Concordia Publishing House are really going into some depth. So if you're all interested in getting a set of commentaries that are just excellent, I would encourage you to take a look at the Concordia Publishing House commentaries. So Paul is talking about what his mission is. And in the course of talking about what his mission is, he says we all need to be united in our theology. This is why the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod continues to have talks, not only with other Lutherans, uh, such as the Wisconsin Synod, where they are very close to us in, in similar theology. And you would say, well, where would Lutherans disagree? Well, as you know, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America has now okayed abortion, okayed women ordination, okayed homosexuality, and gay marriage, this sort of thing. Well, we're not with that at all, because all of those things contradict God's holy word. And therefore, people really need to make a decision whether they're going to continue to support uh, such teaching. In our own Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we've gone so far to say that we don't even consider them to be Lutheran anymore, particularly in light of their communion policy of communion people who do not believe that it's the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So, on the other hand, we have other Lutheran churches, such as the Wisconsin Synod, etc., that are far closer to us and the differences that we have, we're discussing and trying to reach some kind of a, a conclusion where we can have a fellowship with one another and that the disagreements we have are not that uh, uh, different. Uh, then we have other Lutheran churches throughout the world. We have come into what's called sister fellowship with a, a number of Lutheran churches in, in Asia and Africa. And what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that they're members of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, but it means that their members can commune at our altars, and when we visit them, we can commune at their altars. So there is this constant going on within the church about reaching decisions that according to the will of God. And that's exactly what the church is to be about in light of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul says that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. And that's talking about theology. The word theology comes from two Greek words, theos, meaning God, and logos, meaning word. So theology is simply words of God, that means from him, or words 
about God. So when you have such differences that does not permit the Lord's Supper to be shared with individual, that's something we need to be talking about because we want the Lord's Supper to be shared with all Christians. And that is happening as more and more other denominations come into sister fellowship with the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Why is it important? Because you cannot have a dual voice. You can't say in a congregation, well, children need to be baptized, and others say, no, we don't need to baptize children because they're already saved. That is such a different view of God, let alone of doctrine. So that's why, unfortunately, there are many denominations, but the goal is always to help these denominations come together. And there's a long history of successes where different theologies have been removed that were different, and now we're united on that. So for the third Sunday after the Epiphany, uh, that's a possibility that one can speak of, although there is also the Holy Gospel where Jesus is choosing disciples. So we pray that you'll have a great listening to the sermon this coming Sunday, the third Sunday after the Epiphany. One area where there is division among congregations is in what is called original sin. And that's the subject that Wes Reimnitz and I will intend to be talking about tomorrow on Law and Gospel. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday at this time on Worldwide KFUO. For a contribution to the program, make your check payable to Law and Gospel and mail it to Pastor Tom Baker, Post Office Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. You can call toll-free at 1-877-267-1962 or email lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.